love for them to be a part of what we have happening with our Vine Kids time and program right out this side door here. Mr. Greg has the middle school age kiddos in the back there. We'd love for you to be a, a part of, of all of that. Once again, I do want to uh, just mention, if you are here for the first time, I want to tell you welcome. My name is Trub Prater. I'm the lead pastor here. We are honored that you are here. Um, if you are here visiting friends or family for the holiday, or you just made your way to church for the first time today, or our church today, we are, are really glad that you're here. We're honored to have you with us this morning. So uh, welcome on this Memorial Day weekend. We are, are glad you're here. We are kind of in between things. We wrapped up a two-year study, the Gospel of John, uh, about a month or so ago. We, have kind of gone, we had gone verse by verse, kind of moment by moment, line by line to that entire Gospel and wrapped that up. And we had taken a little bit of a, of a break in May as we kind of just been exploring things that God has been laying on our heart, things that uh, we could kind of share out of our own personal time with Jesus as we kind of prepared for a, uh, a series that we're going to be starting in the summer that's really, I'm kind of excited about because it's a little bit different for us. We're not going to be working through a specific book, but instead we're going to be taking biblical narratives of people from the Old Testament all the way to the New Testament, ordinary people, people that the world would look at and just say, you don't have a ton to offer, and we're going to see how God uses them to turn the entire world upside down. And we're going to be exploring those characters, and we're, so we're, we're pretty excited about it. It'll be pretty, pretty interesting. It'll be different than what we normally do. So um, if you are uh, going to be around this summer, uh, Brandon and I are excited to be teaching through that. That'll start next Sunday in a series that we're calling The Ordinary. And so we'd love for you to make sure that you're here next Sunday as we kind of launch into that. Uh, this morning we're kind of on that tail end of the just kind of... Ex- Exploring and working through things that God has been laying and teaching on our hearts. And I've had multiple conversations with people over the past few weeks that have kind of led me to this place of the stuff that I want to teach you this morning. It's going to come out of Psalm 105, but it's really a a place that's built around this question. If I were to ask you this question, how would you answer it? If I were to say, are you truly happy? How would you answer that question? And I'm not talking about happiness in terms of that euphoric feeling like, are you glad to be here? Or are you happy and are are you smiling? Like, can you have something on the outside where you're having a fun day? I'm talking about that idea of true happiness that's mixed with joy. Right, that part of you that looks at your life and says, steps back and says, and looks at the world around you and says, I really love my life. Like that part of you that is truly happy, that sort of combination of joy and happiness that when you glance at your life, you look at it and you say, I love what I've got in front of me. And if I ask you that question, if you're truly happy, how would you answer it? And it's a really powerful question. And the reason it's a powerful question is because every single one of us in this room knows and wants to be able to say yes. We want to be able to answer in that yes because we know that we should. We know that as followers of Christ, we should have this answer wrapped up easily. But the problem is that a lot of us have been in a place or are in a place or maybe one day will be in a place where we can't answer that question with an emphatic yes. When I say, are you truly happy, we hesitate. Because somewhere inside of us, that's not what we're feeling. And if we can't answer yes to that question, then it brings about a lot of shame. Because we know we should, right? We know we should be grateful. We know there's people all over the world that have it a lot worse than we do. We know that we have great things. But for whatever reason, <clears throat> this time in my life, my marriage, my, my financial world, my work world, my relationship world, like it just is not all measuring up. And I don't know that this is really what I'm 
like joyful about or happy about. And so when we don't answer yes to that question or when we're not in a great place, we feel a lot of shame and that shame turns us inward. And that sort of inward feeling leads to this cycle of frustration because we know that we should be grateful or happy or whatever, but the truth is we're just not. And so that cycle of shame is really hard to break. And I've had countless conversations with people over the past few weeks that have sort of led to this idea of what happens when the life that we know that we were called to have, this sort of unquenchable, joyful life as followers of Christ, isn't there. What do we do? How do we wake up and break that cycle that has some shame and frustration attached to it? How do we break that cycle of always wanting more or not being able to be at a place where we feel like our life is this joyful thing that we just love waking up to? How do we break that cycle? Because the truth is, if you've lived in this world long enough, which all of us have, if you haven't been there or you aren't there right now, you will at some point in time. You will wake up in a place where your joy has literally been stolen. And I use that term because it's accurate. You didn't give it away. You didn't want to give it away. I didn't certainly want to hand it over. But life's people, places, or things sort of had a way of taking it from me. People become burdens. Work becomes a habit. Church becomes something that we just should do, right? Our marriage is not a place of safety or comfort. It's a place of anxiety. We didn't want to give those things in that direction. But somehow along the way they were just taken and, and, and we want them back. And life has a way at times in this world of stealing those things. And so I was having a conversation with someone about a week and a half ago and they said, okay, so how do I get that back? And I didn't have a real answer because the truth is a lot of my life is wrapped up in a lot of those places. It's wrapped up in this sort of teetering spot between I love my life and I, I'm not, I, I, I long for more. And I know it's not super healthy, but that's where I live. And so if you ask me, Trevor, are you really, truly happy? I don't know that my answer is yes. I think a lot of us live in that place. And as followers of Christ, how do we allow our hearts to return to where we long for them to be? How do we reclaim what we have in Christ? Because here's a not-so-secret secret. You were created to live in joy. You were created by God to have this joyful, real, unquenchable, undeniable, joy-filled life. That's how God created you. He created you to know him. It doesn't mean life's going to be easy. It's not going to hand you shipwrecks and snake bites like it gave Paul when we explored Acts several years ago. I'm not talking about just this idea of prosperity. That's dangerous and it's a lie. I'm talking about a true unquenchable joy that says no matter what this life hands me, throws me, gives me, I know that I have a greater truth than the truth of my problems. I know that the promises I've been given to Jesus are greater than the sum total of all of my struggles. That those promises I have in Christ are greater than all of those problems added together. I know that I'm created for something more. I know that I've been created to live in this relationship with Christ. And this is one of those things where we all say we know that, but until we know it from the depths of our soul, right, you will never find your way out of that place where you feel like some of those things have been robbed. 
As long as we sit here and we nod our head and we say, yeah, no, I know I was created for that. No, I'm talking about you have to know from the depths of your soul that God has made you to know him and have an inexplainable and unquenchable and undeniable joy in this life. In whatever circumstance you may be sitting in, God has created you to have a life that you love. Sort of the foundation for where we're going to be today is this knowledge that that's what God desires for you. It does not mean tragedy won't happen. It does not mean storms and things and struggles and different hills and mountains won't appear in your life. But what you were created for in the middle of that is joy. That knowing Jesus in the midst of all of life's struggles is enough. We've talked about this many, many times. But where I want to be this morning is how do we get back there? If we know that to be true, right, and, and even though I know I'm not facing tragedy and a lot of people have it worse, I know all those things but worse than I do, how do I get to a place where I just reclaim what I know is mine in Christ? And so this morning we're going to be exploring what I believe to be several things, nine of them actually, of things that if we would put into practice or into place, that we could do on a daily basis or on a weekly basis, that we could reclaim these promises in Christ. Several years ago, about three years ago actually, we kind of looked through this a little bit in a different angles. We talked through Advent and what it meant to have Jesus breaking into our life. But I want to look at it a little bit differently this morning. And I want to explore these things. These promises that I truly believe that if you were able to actually do on a daily basis, or if I were able to do on a daily basis, would revolutionize the way that you think about your life. And it doesn't mean that money's going to fall from heaven and all of a sudden everything's going to get along and people are going to be nice to you, everything's going to work. No, but it changes our perspective when we truly be able to see and live these things that we're going to see in Psalm 105 out completely. They're the remedy for stolen joy, if you will. If you want to wind your way back into a life that you love and that you know you've been given in Christ, this is the place that we're going to begin. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to Psalm chapter 105. We're going to be in the first five verses. And we're going to go just those first things because in that psalm, there are nine things that I want us to see right off the bat that I believe are game changers. They are, they are revolutionary for how we can see the world differently um, and how it will turn our, our sort of lives upside down. So if you've got your uh, Bible, I want you to open up to Psalm 105. Uh, let's pray and then I'll kind of explain it to you and then just kind of work through it. So. Lord, I do thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning and open your word. I thank you for the new faces that are here. I thank you, Lord, for those of our community that are traveling to see friends or uh, family or doing other things on this Memorial Day weekend. We ask for your safety. Lord, we, uh, we are grateful that we live in a place where we can gather in freedom. Uh, Lord, we do know that we have men and women in our community here that are part of our um, armed forces, that are a part of our military. God, we have... Uh, men and women who have children that are part of our military, Lord, we are deeply grateful for those that have sacrificed so that we might be here. We're grateful for those that are part of our law enforcement or first responders or people that have laid their lives, firemen, firewomen that have laid their lives down so that we could live in a free and safe place. Lord, we are, uh, we are often just, we forget, we forget the sacrifices that were made so that we could gather here in freedom. We're grateful. Lord, the truth is that a lot of us live lives that are really discontent. I know I certainly do. And I know I've been created to live in joy, Lord, but I know that I live in this teetering place. 
And so often I let the world around me, circumstances and people, literally rob me of what I know is mine in Christ. That God, the promises that you give me, Lord, the truth that you have is greater than the truth of my problems. The promises that you give me are greater than the sum total of all of my fears. And yet, Lord, it's so hard to seize those things. And so I let the world take them so often. So this morning, Lord, as we explore exciting things, open our hearts to this sort of remedy, how to reclaim what is ours in Christ, the remedy for that stolen joy so that we may fully step into joyful, abundant, amazing life in you that is promised for every believer. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Whatever that may be, whatever he wants to just instruct your heart in or just teach you, just invite God to teach your heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you, in front of you, or behind you. We do this every week. We want to be a church that is in the habit of praying for other people. Everything that unfolds here on Sunday morning is not about you. Pray that God would move in the lives of people around you, even if you don't know their name. Just pray for someone else this morning. Lord, we turn our entire morning over to you. We ask you to teach us through your word. Instruct our hearts. God, and draw us back into a place where we can find true joy and abundance in you, Jesus. Amen. So Psalm 105, here, here's what I actually want you to do. Um, let's do this. I want you to, to take, uh, there's a, probably a pen around you in one of those chairs, or if you don't have one with you. We're going to be working through these nine things. I really want you to write them down. And I want you to name them whatever you want to name them. Um, I'll give you the, the kind of piece out of the psalm, and you can make it meaningful to you. So when we get to it, it'll make more sense. You can say, this is what this means to me. But I want you to write them down, because these are things that I want you to revisit. And I'm going to challenge you to do all nine of these things every single day for one week. All right? So I want you to jot them down because I want you to revisit them. And you can explore in your own time what that means or how you're going to do it but I don't want you to jot them down on your, your phone or on your uh, uh, piece of paper. You can use the back side of that, uh, that white guest card if you want to. But I want you to jot them down because I want you to revisit them. Because I, I want us to go through this experiment to see what would happen if we did these things for one week. How would God use that to change or revolutionize our perspective on the world and even on our own life? So Psalm 105 is an exhortation. It's a psalm that was used to remind Israel as part of their worship life about who God was. They would use it as part of their sort of worship experience to proclaim and remember that God had not forgotten them. The Israelites were in a place where they had kind of believed that maybe God had moved on. And so this psalm is a psalm of sort of remembrance. It's a, it's a psalm that's called to remind them that, that God is a God of Abraham, and he has led them and never left them, and he will always protect them. And it's a call to remember God's, God's wonders. But the first five verses are really powerful because it actually proclaims these things that if, if we were to actually allow them to sink into our soul, into our heart, we were allowed to let those things settle in, right? If we could do that, it would change the way that we think and the way that we live. 
So let's read it together, and then I'm going to work through those things. This is Psalm 105, verses 1 through 5. We'll just look at the first five verses. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all of his wonderful acts. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Look to the Lord and his strength and seek his face always. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has pronounced. So the first part of Psalm 105 is this great sort of proclamation of remembrance of who God is. But wrapped up in those five verses are nine individual things that I truly believe, I really deeply believe, that if we, we grasp onto and we look at what the psalmist is actually saying, it will change our perspective about our life and allow us to reclaim what is rightfully and truthfully ours and promised to us in Christ. So let's look at them together. The first one the psalmist says is, <clears throat> give thanks to the Lord. Listen, we are called to be a people who are deeply grateful. Part of the joy of following Jesus is that we have the ability to know that God gave us, through Christ, what we didn't deserve. We can be a deeply grateful and thankful people. But the truth is we're not. We're a lot like the Israelites. <clears throat> we look at our life and we're always talking about what we don't have. We look at our life and we say it's hot or it's too cold or I want this or I want that. And very seldom do we look at the things in our life, the good things and the bad things, that are grateful that God is who he is. God, I want to be a person who is gratefully thankful for the things in my life. Even James tells us that when we face struggles, we should be grateful. That when we face trials and persecutions, we should consider it pure joy. That when we face things in our life, we have the opportunity to be a people that are going to be thankful and grateful to the Lord. Most of us... <clears throat> are disenchanted because we are not content with any of the things that God puts in our life. We always want what's next. It's always a stepping stone to something else. And very seldom do we take the moment to just say, God, I want to just draw breath today and thank you for allowing me to rise for my family, for this place that I live, for the car, even though it's got three wheels, whatever it is, like I'm grateful, right? We know that there's worse off in the world, right? That's easy. It's easy to go, well, at least we have food, we have water. But the truth is, are you truly grateful? Not that sort of token gratefulness that knows that I don't have to walk five miles to get a bucket of water. But truly grateful that God has lavished you with his goodness and his grace. That everything, good thing that you have is from him. And even the struggles are opportunities to grow in him. We've explored this number numerous times. Even the difficulties in our life are opportunities to mature in character, to grow and know Jesus. The psalmist is telling the Israelites, he's basically saying, look, give thanks. The Israelites have walked through difficult things. But he's reminding them to be a people who are grateful on a daily basis. What if you found ways to be grateful for not just the things, but the people, the breath in your life, right? God, I don't want the people to become burdens. I don't want the things to become habits. There are... I don't love my job, but I have a job. Or whatever it is, to be a person of just deep gratitude. Like, I'm just grateful. And God, I want to thank you 
the first thing the psalmist reminds us of is that we've got to give thanks to the Lord. God constantly gets my list of things that I want, that I want to be different. God, change my heart, change this, do this. Very seldom is my prayer time filled with this gra- overwhelming gratitude that goes, God, I truthfully should be dead in the ditch. I mean, I was making some dumb decisions. And you rescued me and you saved me and you've given me this incredible family and this life that I've got and the opportunity to stand up here and tell people about Jesus. Like, I'm just grateful. I want to be a person that is overflowing with gratitude. That's what the psalmist says. He says, listen, give thanks to the Lord. The second thing he says is call upon his name. The second way that we can remedy this stolen joy is to become people of prayer. When the psalmist talks about calling upon the name of the Lord, he's actually talking about prayer. He's calling upon God. We have the ability as followers of Christ through Jesus to call upon the God of the universe to become a people of prayer, to become people that literally go before the Lord at any moment, at any time, and say, God, I just want to see you or know you or I want to petition you or God, I I just want to pray. Most of us have prayer lives that consist of things like before meals or maybe before bed or we have a list of things we pray for that people need or that we need, but we would not consider ourselves a people of prayer. Like constantly, that kind of Thessalonians prayer that says pray continually, giving thanks in all circumstances, right? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus, like that we would be people of deep, real prayer. When the psalmist says call upon the name of the Lord, he's saying become a people of prayer. You're going to see a few things in this list that I deeply believe are tied directly to our sort of restless heart. And I promise you that prayer is on that list. That if you are not a person of prayer, if prayer is something that just sort of passes in and out of your life, you can count on being spiritually restless. You can count on that because we are not taking advantage of the opportunity to spend time and to grow our personal relationship with Jesus. Become a person of prayer. What that means is that you have to be intentional about it. You have to create the time and space to pray. And guess what? No one has time. I get it. We've got school. We've got work. We've got kids. We've got things. We don't have time to do more than that. Do you realize how that sounds? That I'm too busy to spend time with a God that has saved me. I used to have this roommate in college. Um that my sophomore year in college, that when we were trying to talk, we were talking about becoming people that prayed or guys that prayed, he laid out in our closet, he laid out every night, he would lay out a blanket and a pillow and his Bible right, on, right in the closet. And his, his stuff was on, we shared a closet, his stuff was on the other side, so the walk-in closet. And I walked in there when I was like, why in the world did you put this in the middle of our closet? He said, because here's the deal, is that in the morning I would literally want to have to make myself step over the Lord to get on with my day. Because if not, I won't do it. And I don't want to be someone that steps over the Lord. And I just thought it was an interesting sort of visual, right? Because the truth is, if I'm going to go through my day, I have to make some type of sacrifice or place that I'm going to spend time with the Lord in prayer. If you are not creating time and space in your life for prayer with the Lord, you can count on the joy and things being stolen from your life. Be grateful. Be thankful. Be someone that calls upon the name of the Lord. Pray. Make a habit, make a ritual, make a place, make a landscape for it. 
the psalmist says, call upon the name of the Lord. The third thing that we see there is he says, make known among the nations what he has done. I love this, right? So it's be someone that talks about Jesus. Be someone that talks about the Lord. Make known among the nations what he has done. Every day in your prayer time, which is number two, ask God to put somebody in your life that you can talk to about something that matters, something spiritual. Be someone that says, I want to tell the world what God has done. Be someone that talks about Jesus, asks for the opportunities, and then is bold enough to do it when God gives them to you. Ask the Lord every day to place somebody in your life that you could tell about the wonders of God. Doesn't matter who it is. Maybe you know him, maybe you don't. <clears throat> maybe it's a waitress or a cashier or a friend or a neighbor or a teacher or anyone. Make known those things to the nations. Expand your bubble. Be intentional about making new friends. Invite your neighbors into your world. If you have the same six people you surround yourself with all the time, you will never make known to the nations what God has done. Break outside of what is comfortable. Being outside to the nations is not really comfortable. New cultures, new people, new groups. Get involved in terms of mission and places that exist outside of your direct comfort zone. Serve. <clears throat> Make known to the nations what God has done. Be someone that talks about the Lord. And I'm not talking about standing on the corners and shouting people down. I'm just talking about in your life. Talk about the things that God has done and how he's changed you or the things that you've seen. Right? You guys all know, everybody in this room probably knows Tim Lewis. Tim Lewis is the Jesus jeweler down in Moore. He's also an elder at our church, but that's how I, I hear about Tim all the time. I met someone from uh, Moore, and they said, or the Moore area, and I said, hey, do you know Tim Lewis? Because that's just our entry of anybody that lives in Moore. He goes, oh, you mean the Jesus jeweler? And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, man, anytime you go in there, he's always telling you about Jesus. And I thought to myself, like, Tim's a great example of what that looks like. Right? He uses all these opportunities with these engaged couples and all these kind of things just to tell people about the wonders of God. He's an example of one of so many. But the truth is, I labor to be someone like that. I want to tell the nations what God has done. I want to be a church that tells the nations. We're not talking about the things that Jesus is doing in our own life, right? Or that he's done or that we've seen. How are we a people that share the gospel? So we're thankful, right? We give thanks to God. We're grateful people. God, I want to be grateful. I want to pray. I want to tell the nations what you have done. I want to be someone that talks about the Lord. Number four, sing to him, sing praise to him. This is one of my favorites. I don't believe this is a metaphor. I don't believe it's a, uh, some kind of something for something else. It is truly the psalmist saying, sing to the Lord. Sing. There's something majestic about worship when it comes to worship as music, worship as singing. There's something incredible that weaves its way through the whole of Scripture that God's people always sung worship to the Lord. Up and down as they went into the temple in Jerusalem, up the hill, down the hill, the psalms are full of psalms of ascent, psalms of descent, songs that they would sing, praises they would cry out. 
The New Testament is full of the church gathering and singing hymns. Our worship, corporate worship life together with music is vitally important. You are called to be that person, not just here. Be a person that sings to the Lord. Make up songs. Sing psalms. Sing in your car. Change the stuff that you put into your ears. Fill your life with those joyful things that you want to cry out. What are you filling your cars with, with your kids? What lyrics are they singing? I'm not sitting here making an advocation like, don't listen to non-Christian music. Nothing like that. But make it a priority to make what comes out of your heart, this song, this noise, things that is glorifying to the Lord. There's something so incredible about being a person that sings to the Lord. Sing over your kids. Sing to them. Nobody gives a rat's tail what you sound like. Certainly not the Lord, right? We all know if I were Brandon what word I would have used there, right? No one cares. Sing, sing, sing. I love that. The psalmist is reminding Israel, he's going, do you know what happens when you sing to the Lord? And the things that the psalmist sung, or the, the, I'm sorry, the Israelites sung to the Lord were proclamations. They were promises. They were reminders. Don takes very seriously the opportunity when we lead worship up here to comb through our music to make sure that it is biblically based, that it echoes through Scripture, that we're not singing lyrics that are sort of frivolous and weird. He makes sure that what we sing is biblically and theologically accurate and true. Sing to the Lord, right? Give thanks, call upon his name, make known to the nations, talk about Jesus, sing to him, sing praise to him. Number five, tell of all his wonderful acts. Very similar to make known to the nations, but this one to me is personal. Make known his wonderful acts. As a church and as a people, we are really good at sharing prayer requests. Hey, so-and-so, my aunt's got cancer or that got going on or please pray for us. My husband's looking for a new job. We share prayer requests, but very seldom do we take time to share of God's wonderful acts. How has God answered that? How has God done something great? How has he changed the perspective of your heart? How has he showed up in that one small well, small way? Tell people. Tell people. Man, I saw God do something really cool. I'd been praying that he would do this, and he did this. Or I'd been hoping that this would happen, and God showed up, and he just reassured my heart. And so tell your husband, tell your wife, tell people about God's wonderful acts. And not the ones where he just parts the Red Sea, but the ones where he just calms your soul. Where you felt really anxious, and you asked God just to steady your heart, and he did. Tell people around you those wonderful acts. Be a community that, that does that. And you know why that's important? Is because when you tell of those wonderful acts, you relive them and you remember them. And that's really important as a follower of Christ to remember all of these things. And I'll talk about short memory here in a minute, but to remember all of even the small ways that God has been so faithful. He's been so good. He has never let us fail or falter or crash or die or whatever. He just always shows up. Tell people. Have you been praying for something and God answers it in a way, even if it's not the way you expected, tell of his wonderful acts. Tell each other. Tell your life group, right? Tell your Bible study. Talk about the goodness of God. Have you been praying that God would give you a new job and he does? Then tell of his wonderful acts. 
Or have you been praying that God would just help you trust him and you have one of those days where you just, it just works and God just settles your heart. Tell someone, tell the people that matter to you about the wonderful acts of God. And the reason for that is because there's something incredible that happens when people begin to talk about the wonderful nature of who God is. It's contagious. Tell of his wonderful acts. Give thanks to the Lord. Be a person of prayer. Call upon his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Right? Sing to him. Tell of his wonderful acts. Number, number six, glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. This one is easy to me. Glory in his holy name. You know what's wrapped up in there? Let the hearts of those that seek the Lord rejoice is this. Smile. Smile. The truth is, is that as followers of Christ, we have the greatest reason in the universe to have a life that is run with joy and happiness. Because we know that we were destined for destruction. And God has given us an, a promise that will mark us for eternity. And no matter what life throws at you, no matter how difficult it is, no one can steal that. In fact, Jesus tells the disciples, no one can snatch you out of his hand. There is no amount of hardship or struggle or sin that can capture you once you have given your life to Christ out of the Father's hand. Those that seek the Lord rejoice. You know what this means? Smile, laugh, run, play, dance. This is not an awful, horrific place to be. Part of what we're called to as followers of Christ is to exhibit this nature to the world. It's not the dark ages and that sort of 15th century and before picture where we felt like that in order to be, to be real followers of Christ, you had to move off into a monastery and punish yourself. The reality is that's not reading what Scripture has painted for those that followed the Lord. There's this overwhelming, undeniable joy that should come in the life of every believer. And it should pour out. It should seep out of us. And it doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean that you have to fake a smile. I'm not talking about emotional denial. I'm not talking about covering everything up with plastic pictures and making sure that we look fine when we come into church. I'm talking about that part of us that gets to make a decision. Today is what I am going to choose. I'm either going to choose to live in despair and darkness and frustration or I'm going to choose to live in joy of knowing Jesus and to let that run through my life. And so I'm going to get out and I'm going to do something to bring about joy today. I'm going to figure out ways to find joy in my everyday. And even if it's a life that's got some hardships in it, I'm going to choose moments that will mark my life with a smile. Let those that seek the Lord rejoice. Glory in his name. The rest of the world may be falling apart around me, but there is something inside of me that I want to celebrate with my family or my friends or my life. And I want to enjoy these moments. And I am not going to be someone whose heart is full of darkness. But I want to smile more. I want to laugh more. I want to tell more jokes. I want to enjoy more people. Like this is the part of me that just says, love your life. You only get this one. We're only going around this thing once and no one can tell you what's going to happen when you walk out of here today. We are not guaranteed another breath, another second, so stop wasting it. 
and enjoy these moments, right? Or you wake up one day like me and you look over and you have a almost senior in high school who I don't know that we get any more summers with, right? She went from this to this in a matter of moments. Did we seize every opportunity we had to build a life of joy in our home? These are the promises of those that seek the Lord. Smile, right? Like, look, these moments create memories. Build a foundation for your family, for your friends of joy. Seven. We'll wrap these up kind of quickly. Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. There's two wrapped up in there. Look to the Lord and his strength. Look, the truth is that most of us are worn out because we're trying to live this life on all of our own terms and our own strength. The psalmist is reminding those in Israel, you cannot do it. You have to look to the Lord and his strength. You cannot muster through this life on your own. You cannot fight its battles. You cannot carry its burdens. You cannot carry its weight. You cannot carry its anxieties. It is too hard. There is too much. There is despair. There is struggle. There is heartache. So the psalmist says, look to the Lord for his strength. Right? It's not one of those things where they say, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. He gives you more than you can handle every single waking moment. You can't handle any of it. But he says, look, look to the Lord, right? In his strength. That, what that means is that you can't get out of this on your own. No amount of fighting your way out, putting on happy smiles is going to get you out of that place, that thing, that hurt, that despair, that frustration, that anxiety, that restlessness, whatever it is. It's the Lord's strength. So even if you were to go through these things on this checklist and think that's going to be the answer, the reality is that it falls back onto, God, I need you. I cannot do this. Raising these kids is overwhelming or thinking about this job is overwhelming or am I going to be single forever is overwhelming. Like I don't know the answer to any of those things. But we are called to look to the Lord and his strength. Psalms are full of that. All you got to do is open them up and they're calling out for Israel to look towards the Lord. That he is their strength, their mighty shield, their forever fortress. Is that how you describe your understanding of God? Your rock, your salvation, your fortress, strength, mountain. That's what the, that's what the psalmist used to describe who God is. That type of strength, fortress, pillar, mountain. Unmovable things, right? Look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always, number eight. I love this one because it's super personal. What this basically means is that seek this personal relationship with the Lord. You have been given through Christ access to holy, mighty God, a personal relationship with Jesus. To seek the face of God is something intimate and personal. The psalmist is reminding Israel that they are called to have an intimate relationship with the Father. He had established that with them, and they had forgotten him. But he's saying, seek the face of God. Not seek the answers from God, right? That's what most of us do. <clears throat> we come to God with our list of prayer and requests and prayer needs saying, God, solve this, do this, make this better, make this right, fix me, fix him, fix her, whatever. 
We just want God to knock through our list of checklists so that we feel better about our life or relieve us from our problems. And we don't actually ever have to know him intimately. We just want a God that does the things that we ask him to do when we ask him to do them. And we wonder why our spiritual lives are restless. Because God is not interested in solving all of those things. He's interested in you knowing him intimately. Right? God withholds information. God withholds answers from us for one reason, so that we will seek him more intently. That's it. God withholds so that we will seek him, not so that he will punish us and make life harder, so that we will seek him and chase him. And the psalmist says that you will seek his face. Do you know how intimate the face of God is in Scripture? This incredibly holy, beautiful thing that humanity has access, Israel had access to, and now humanity has access through access to through Christ. There is an intimacy involved in the face of God because it's close. When you see someone's face, you are in the proximity, right? You're not seeing someone's face from afar. When it says seek God's face, it's talking about seeking intimacy, which means prayer time, time in the word, time where you get to know him, prayer where you listen. Tying that to our prayer time where we say, God, I want to read through scripture. I want to know who you are. I want you to reveal yourself to me. God, I'm really struggling, so what I need you to do is just show me where you're at work and how I might join you. Instead of solving all these things, tell me what you're doing so that I can join you. Out of all of these things, the starting place to reclaim that joy, to reclaim that place in your life is right there. It's the starting place. Which means that every day, you've got to find a place where you can seek God intimately. And I'm not talking about hours. I'm talking about moments. Different moments in the day or even 30 minutes in the morning and different times during the day where you just carve out time and just say, Lord, I just want to know you. I want to seek your face. I want to know you intimately the way that you know me. This is the greatest invitation in all of Scripture. That through Jesus, we have access to holy, mighty God. The face of God. The God that... Breathe life into your lungs. As Psalm 139 says, knit you together in your mother's womb. The song, as Zephaniah says, sing, the God that sings over you. Right? This sort of intimacy with God. And finally, number nine. Verse five. Remember the wonders he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has pronounced. Remember the wonders the miracles, and the judgments. I have the worst memory when it comes to the Lord. It's short. It is so short. God for 25 years has been, maybe more than that, been faithful and amazing. And he has demonstrated his goodness. And he has rescued and saved and never, ever once failed me. Not always done what I've asked him to do. Not gone down the path that I've always wanted to go down myself. But God has never left me. And yet my memory is so short. As soon as something else comes, I panic. I throw everything away and I go, God, where are you? Why are you doing this? And I can't remember that for all those years, God and all of his faithfulness. And the psalmist is saying, remember the wonders of God. The miracles and the judgments have a great spiritual memory. Why? Because when we have a great spiritual memory, we're reminded that God is who he says he is. And in those moments when life is hard, we are not washed away. 
but we are anchored to the truth that we have seen happen. Psalm 63.3 says that when David was parched and in a weary land and afraid, he reminded himself and he remembered God in the sanctuary and he remembered his wonders and his glory and it sustained him. So David's in a place of dying and distress and he called upon his memory and he said, God, I remember you in your sanctuary and I remember your wonders and your glory. When we go through life's difficult things, tragedies, struggles, hurts, if we can be people of great memory, to remember all that God has done and where I should be without him, instead of not where I am or where I want to be, but to remember where God has brought me from, to be a person of a memory, that when life's things show up, I'm not tossed around in the waves, but I'm anchored to truth that I know to be who God is. His wonders, his miracles, and his judgments. Remember who God has always been. Remember who he is when he first called you. Maybe when he provided for you in this amazing way or he stood by you in peace as you wrestled with the loss of someone that you love or the moment when you fell in love or those moments where you thought this was never going to work out and God just was God. That God never changes. And so we're called as a people to remember his wonders and his miracles and his judgments. To be a people with great memory. So as I put these things together, I started thinking about this. What if for a week <clears throat> I decided that I was going to make a checklist of sorts and that every day I was going to find a way to do one of these nine or do these nine things every single day for a week. I was going to look at it. I was going to put it somewhere I could see it. And I was going to figure out a way to give thanks today. I was going to figure out a way to call upon his name in prayer. I was going to make sure that prayer was part of my story on that day. I was going to make known the wonders. I was going to ask God to put someone in my life that I could talk about spiritual things to, that I could make known his wonders. Coworker, neighbor, stranger, just anyone. Spiritual conversation. It doesn't have to change the world, but just to make known that God's good. Right? Just to be someone that talks about him. Right? That I could sing. That I could find moments to sing over my kids or in my car or just along with something that's filling my life with something other than what's coming from the world. And what's coming out of my lungs is something that's glorifying to the Lord. Just for moments that I was going to change what I put in and what came out, right? That I was going to glory in his name. That I was going to be someone that smiled and that laughed and that loved my life. And that I would make a choice that I could find ways today to make whatever struggle or heartache I was in somewhat enjoyable. Or I could find a time to create a memory with my family that would work. And even the disastrous memories that we make along the way are the stories that we'll tell forever. The ways that things have gone wrong are oftentimes some of the greatest stories we look back upon. Remember when we tried and we laughed and we laughed and we laughed. That we want to be a people like that. We want to look to the Lord's strength and not my own, right? That I want to seek his face intimately. Remember the wonders and the miracles and the judgments. God, today I'm going to remember. I remember where I was the day that you saved me as a seventh grader. I remember how that felt. I remember when I was gathered together in a group of guys praying 
the night before I would ask, or actually three days before I would ask my wife to marry me. I remember how faithful you were. I'm going to be someone that remembers and reclaims those miracles and wonders. Don't know where your life is. I don't know if you're struggling with stolen joy. I don't know if maybe it's a place where you are. There's just some little things that are overwhelming. Family, life, work. Like it just feels somewhat suffocating. Take this, what we're learning from the psalmist. Place it on your mirror, on your kitchen table, on your refrigerator. And make a decision that for a week, these are things I'm going to do. I'm going to do. I would, I would want to complain. I would want to moan. And I would want to just be angry and frustrated or wonder why nothing works out. But instead, I'm going to choose gratitude and thankfulness. So I'm going to find something in this crummy day to just be grateful for. I'm going to find some way to turn this struggle into some kind of joyful memory for my family. We're going to get out. We're going to run. We're going to do something. I'm going to find a way to remember what God has done. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to step over the Lord today. He's going to get my best. I'm going to seek his face. I'm not going to ask for answers. I'm just going to ask for him. Whatever this list means, right, whatever you need to change those titles to for your own self, do it. Make one-word titles, whatever you need to do. Be thankful, smile, run, laugh, pray, whatever it is, just make that list your own. And then reclaim what is rightfully yours in Christ with his glory and his strength. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together today, the opportunity to sing, to worship, to remember how good and great and wonderful you are. To glory in your name, to rejoice, to give thanks, to seek your face, to remember and proclaim your miracles and wonders and judgments. These are all gifts, all promises that we have. And that especially through Christ, as followers of Jesus, these things are ours. You have already promised them. You have already laid them before us. So, Lord, let us be men and women that seize them, that love them. Let us reclaim what the world steals from us so often. What we get overwhelmed with, God, seize back. As we close our time in worship, I pray that as a community, these will be things that will be true to our hearts. That you are the remedy for stolen joy. That you are all that we need. And you are our God.